And it's so good to be here with you guys in Houston, Texas. I'm originally from Dallas, so I always cringe a little bit when I have to come to Houston area, but it's okay. It's all right. It's not as bad as it once was, I guess. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really do like Houston. A lot of good people down here. Uh, we miss Texas. You know, Texas is uh, where we grew up, me and my wife both from this area. And, you know, there's just not quite a place in the world like Texas. Uh, and so it's, it's good to always be home, you know, in the area. But um, so good to be here and just kind of share with you this morning about what God has been doing in the Czech Republic and all that stuff. And, and we can ask some more questions and that kind of stuff later. I'd love to talk to you more about that. But today I want to open up the Word of God with you this morning and uh, just see what He has to say, right? That's, that's what's so cool about uh, the God we serve is that He speaks to us through His Word and, and we have access to that and it's such a blessing for us. So, um, Today, we're going to be looking at a passage in the, the book of Luke, and we're going to read this uh, together, if you would stand while we read the Word of God, and I'll read this, and uh, then we, we can sit down. But Luke uh, 15, 1 through 7, and it says this, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous persons who needs no repentance." This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, you may be seated. Um, I love this passage. I love this, this passage of Scripture. It's probably one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's one of the ones that really was a, a key factor into us going into ministry full-time. It was something that I remember hearing and just something that uh, we were able to see. And it's just a little background and history on the book of, of Luke. Luke um, wrote the book of Luke. Uh, he was writing to this guy named Theophilus, and it was an account of what was going on at this time. So what had happened was that Jesus was on the scene. He came, and he died, and he rose again. And all these people had seen him, and people were talking about him. And Luke he said, I got to write this down, right? I got to write, this is crazy. Something, nothing like this has ever happened. There's a movement happening right now. I got to write this down. So he went around and he interviewed people and he met with people who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, ate with Jesus. And he, he collected these, these stories, these interviews, and he wrote this all down for this guy named Theophilus and this account of this person, Jesus, who claimed to be God. And he, he wrote all these things down and we're able to come and look at that. And it's so cool because this particular passage passage in Luke chapter 15 is, is super interesting to me because we see Jesus hanging out with a bunch of people uh, who looked nothing like him, acted nothing like him, and he acted like he enjoyed their company, right? Where you see Jesus at a dinner party with a group of sinners, with a group of really bad people, and, and they say that, uh, he was there with sinners and uh, the publicans and some other things, they, uh, other versions, they say all these people who were not just like the, the people who do bad things, but these were like the worst of the worst. These are the people who had completely walked away from the faith, the people who had turned their back on religion, turned their back on God and went away. And we see Jesus, who's claiming to be God at this moment, eating with these people. And we see the religious folk 
looking upon him and judging him. And I, I love what happens. This is such a cool uh, passage of scripture. It's actually three different stories that Jesus tells at a dinner party. Um, short stories, these parables, and it's actually written down that Mark Twain and uh, Charles Dickens, when they're asked, what they were once asked, what's the greatest story ever told? And they, they pointed back to this in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son, which is a, one of the three stories. And they said, that's the greatest story ever told. And that's just high accolades for Jesus, right? Because whenever he spoke, his words mattered. Jesus was so just uh, such a great communicator. And, and he, he spoke these things. And it went down in history as one of the greatest stories ever told. And so we're going to look at uh, a couple of these stories this morning uh, of these three different short stories about how Jesus, when he was sitting with these sinners and he was talking to people. So just kind of understand the, the religious climate at this time. Uh, the Jewish culture and the Jewish faith at this time, they, they, they were to follow the law, right? And at this time, there's about 613 different laws that one person had had to follow in order to be right with God. And what was happening was these religious people, day in and day out, were adding laws to this. And it's thought to be at this time about a thousand different rules a person had to follow in order to be right with God. And so what was happening was all of these people were turning away and leaving the faith. And they're saying, we can't do this. And we, we're, we're going to go and be of the world. We can't handle this. It's too much. And these were the people Jesus was sitting with. with and these are the people he was associating with. And it's kind of interesting, right? Because Jesus knew that he only had three years of ministry on this earth in order to do what he was doing. And he was saying, listen, I'm going to use my time wisely because we immediately see uh, the, the Pharisees and the, the religious people and the scribes. They said in verse, one, in verse two, it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. And that was a big no-no. And, and they could not wrap their mind around it. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that he had to be here. He was, came for sinners. He came for people who were far from God. And he was coming for that. And it's an interesting paradox, I think, also. Because I think, like, I was thinking about this. And I, I always like to, we, sometimes we like to read ourselves into the stories, right? And, like, I was, I was trying to think, where would I fit in this? Would I be the people sitting with Jesus? I, I'd, I'd be far from God. But a lot of times, I'm guilty of being a Pharisee in this situation where I could see Jesus coming and I'd be like, God, Jesus, don't you want to hang out with me? right? Don't you want to hang out with me? I'm a, I'm a missionary, <laughs> you know, or don't you want to hang out with us that we're pastors, we're, we're, we're Christians. We can talk about our favorite Bible stories. We can talk about our favorite Old Testament heroes. We can talk about, we can talk about God and Jesus is saying, listen, you don't get it. I didn't come for the healthy people. I came for the sick people. Jesus knew and he was very intentional with his time and what he was doing. And I am so glad that we serve a God who loves sinners, Right? I'm so glad we serve a God who is in hot pursuit of lost people, right? who cares about them. And we see this all throughout scriptures and different letters that Paul wrote and different uh, gospels. But we see in Romans 5.8, it says this, God commended his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 Timothy, when Paul was writing to Timothy, he wrote this down in, in verse 15 of chapter 1. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I don't know about you, but I am just so thankful we serve a God who loves us, right? Who, who seeks after us, who has come and found us. And, and so I love what happens in the story. Jesus goes and he, he turns to these religious people, this religious group of people sitting here, and he tells them a story, right? He says, okay, listen to this story. It says in verse three, so he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep 
if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons and over 99 people who need no repentance. I love this. This is a story these people could understand, right? They, these people understood what it was like to be a shepherd, sheep. That was like their life back then. They, they understood this. We don't see very many shepherds today. We don't, we don't take care of sheep very often, but they knew how that worked. And he was saying, listen, if you were me, would you not be going after the one who was lost, right? You stop judging me and this is why I'm here. I'm here to find the one who was lost. How many of you ever lost something in here? Anybody? Yeah, I'm terrible. I, I really am. I'm, I'm, I lose things left and right. I, I'm, a, I'm a terrible not loser. I don't, what's the word? I don't know, a not loser. Oh, I guess I am a loser. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I lose things all the time. And my wife gets mad at me about it sometimes because especially on trips like this, I, I'll go and I'll leave something at the hotel or I'll leave something at somebody's house or I'll leave something somewhere and I'm always losing things. But how many of you ever lost something like really important? Like, I mean like super important. Me too. I remember I've lost my keys, I lost things like that. But I remember one time specifically, I was a young child and my parents, uh, my mom is probably just one of the, the nicest ladies in the world. I love my parents. Um, my dad was a pastor in Dallas, Texas area for a long time. Excuse me. And they were taking the youth group one afternoon to Six Flags Over Texas, right? In Arlington, not Houston, Arlington. Um, because Dallas is better. But um, we, we were going to Six Flags Over Texas, Arlington, and they took their kids and the entire youth group with them to uh, Six Flags, with just them two as the adults there. That's, that's pretty crazy, right? Like nuts. But they, they were excited about it. It was a, a group of kids. And so we go into Six Flags. If you've ever been there, you walk through the gates. They have that, that big area in the thing with the carousel. And we're going to meet right there in this spot and go over the rolls, right? You have to have a partner, right? Make sure you're here at this time. Don't go anywhere without somebody knowing where you're at. All those stuff that you have to tell everybody. And I remember them going through this list of rolls. And my mom looks down at me and she says, Tate, where's your brother? And I said, I don't know. And for a few seconds, my mom remained pretty calm as she looked for my brother in the crowd. But as soon as she realized my brother was gone, my sweet mom went crazy. She went nuts. No joke, she lost it. She took me and my sister, handed us to a 12-year-old teenage girl and said, watch my kids, I gotta go find my son. And she went crazy. No, she was jumping over concession stand counters. She was busting in stalls in the bathroom doors looking for my brother. And in that moment, nothing else mattered to my mom until she found my brother, until she found her son. And I really do believe this is the same kind of intention and the same kind of uh, attitude that God wants us to have as it relates to lost people in our life, right? It's the same kind of attitude he has. We see this through scripture. God searches for his sheep, right? We serve a God who is the ultimate shepherd. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd and he came to find his sheep, right? He came to find those who were lost and he he. he left heaven, came to earth to find and save and seek that which was lost. And I think he wants us to have that same kind of attitude as it comes to the people in our life who are far from God. We live in a very 
far from God country in the Czech Republic. Less than 1% of the entire population considers themselves to be evangelical Christians. I would say less than 1% uh, are true Bible-believing Christ followers, and it's, it's a very, very lost country. And so we're there searching hell, trying to find those people who are lost and trying to bring them to Jesus and read them the word and, and, and show them who God is and that he loves them. But here's the thing, there are lost people here in Texas as well. Just because it's the Bible Belt, we are in a generation now where we see this generation of, of kids and adults who have been completely raised outside of church completely raised outside. They're not far from the Czech Republic. There's people in our neighborhoods who have never heard the story of Jesus and what he did for them on the cross. They've never heard it. And I really believe that we need to have the same kind of attitude when it comes to the people who are lost in our life, in our neighborhood, in our surrounding areas, as God did for us by, by searching and coming and leaving. And nothing else matters until they're found. So one of my questions to you this morning is this. It's, will you search? Will you search? Will you search your life and the people around you and, and look into those places and, and go outside of your comfort zone to find people who are far from God? Will you search? I love what happens next in the story. And I just wanted to, I didn't have these verses up here, but I, I wanted to share it uh, with you today. It's this, this next thing. So Jesus, after he tells this story, it's just a, a three verses, eight, nine, and 10. If you have it on your phone, you can turn there. I'm gonna read it out loud. But it says this. He turns and it's almost as if he's like, if, if that story of the lost sheep didn't do it for you, let, let me tell you a different story. Let me give you a different example. And he tells this story of this woman. And in these three verses, he says this, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she lost one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls her friends together and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you that there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I love this, right? I love this, the, 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 this idea that he puts out, right? This woman, he, she lost these coins, right? She has 10 coins. And I used to think when I heard this story uh, growing up, I was like, so big deal, she lost a quarter, right? Like big deal, right? If she lost a quarter, no big deal. Well, doing some research, this was a lot of money. This was a lot of money. Imagine, if you would, that you get your check from work, you've worked your, you know, all month long, you've, you've put your time in, your sweat, blood, and tears, in, and you get your check, you go and you cash it, you bring it home, and you lose half of it somewhere in your house. Would you not tear that place apart looking for that money, right? Would you not completely just just go through every space in your house, pulling out furniture, throwing over the couch, looking for where that money went. And if you wouldn't do that and it, wasn't, it wouldn't be that big of a deal to you, come talk to me after the service because we have a lot of stuff we need to get done in the Czech Republic. But for those of us who that would be a big deal, we understand how, how important this was to her, this, this attitude she had where she was sweeping. I love this idea of sweeping, right? She took a broom and it says she swept out. And the idea of sweeping, right, is to uncover something, like to, to uncover cover and see what's underneath and, and to, to find out what is there. And I love this idea of sweeping. Uh, and one of the things is I, I'm not, have, have, is anybody here like me and just a terrible sweeper? 
Like I, I'm, I'm really bad at my, another thing uh, that I, I tried to do, I don't, I'm not allowed to sweep anymore, but I, I tried to sweep at one point in our marriage um, and it was always like, hey babe, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to help. And some of you, I see some of you ladies out there are just, you're, you already know where I'm going with this. But I, I would sweep and I would, I would I'd like, man, babe, look how great of a husband I am. Look how much work I'm helping you with. Look, I'm sweeping up. See this pile of dirt I got? And she goes, give me that broom. She goes around and her pile's twice as big as mine. I'm thinking, how in the world are you that much better at me than me at sweeping? I mean, she's better at me than me at everything else, but of course she would be at sweeping. But how in the world at sweeping, something that I thought is not that hard of a job, but she, she's good, so I'm not allowed to sweep anymore. It's just a waste of time. She has to do it anyways the second time. So I'd do something else. But I, I'm just not good at it. I remember one time, and when I was at Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, I was uh, going through school and we were young, married. We had a baby, um, little, little, few months old, few month old baby, uh, Lily, my oldest daughter. And we were there at BBC uh, and I was working a job at Domino's Pizza. Now I'm a Domino's guy. I've always been a Domino's guy since since BBC in college, um, mainly because it's what I lived on because we would get all the messed up pizzas, right? At the end of the night, so I'd be bringing pizzas home and sometimes we'd intentionally mess up pizzas just so we can, you know, get them home. I don't know where you stand with that, but it, it was probably not okay. But it's how we lived. Um, so we would, I was, I was working at Domino's Pizza. I was a delivery driver and uh, really enjoyed it, but I got promoted uh, throughout my time working there at Domino's. And one of my responsibilities was closing up the shop. And my boss was really hard on this point. He had this, this uh, mentality saying that if you close early and start cleaning early before 11 p.m., you'll be fired. There's no middle ground. If I catch you closing early, cleaning up shop um, before we actually close, I mean, five minutes early, whatever, you're fired. And so we knew this. This was the rule. However, I was there by myself one night. It was late. I had some papers due uh, that were, I've been procrastinating about. I had a young uh, baby at home. My wife was tired, working, school, all that stuff. And it was 1030 and we were dead. Nobody had ordered pizzas all day. It was, it was empty. And I had one lady who had ordered a pizza and it was sitting up there waiting for her to pick it up. And I go, I think I'm going to get the jump on this today. You know, he's not, our boss isn't going to be in. And so I start cleaning, right? I start cleaning, putting stuff up, just kind of, I wanted to get out of there early. And uh, as soon as we closed, I wanted to be home. So I started putting stuff away, cleaning, you know, leaving some things out if something happened. But I'm, I get my broom out and I start sweeping up and, and I'm cleaning up and all of a sudden I hear the door open and I turn around and it's not my manager, it's the area manager of uh, all of the Springfield stores. And uh, I, my heart sunk. And the moment I go, oh no, I'm, I lost my job, right? I, I have to go back to working on campus at BBC, which if you know, you know. Um, but <laughs> Uh, it, 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 was, it was bad, and I, I'm just thinking, oh no, this is it. He walks up, and he starts talking to me, and he walks over, and I, he does a crazy thing. He grabs a broom, and he starts sweeping with me, starts cleaning the store with me, and I'm thinking, oh man, this is great. Really nice guy, wearing a suit. Uh, he had just come from a meeting, and he starts cleaning the store with me, and this lady walks in to buy her pizza, and he says, hold on, I'll get it, Tate, don't worry, and he walks over, and he rings her up, and he introduces himself, and gives her like a, some cards with like free pizza stuff on it, and she uh, turns around to leave and she stops and she says, hey, it's just so cool to see the boss 
sweeping with the employee, right? And like he had planned this, the dude turns around and he says probably the coolest thing I've ever heard. He says, ma'am, at Domino's, everyone sweeps, right? Like that's legit. That's like, that's like really cool. Like he had planned, he said, ma'am, at Domino's, everyone sweeps. And, but that was his mentality when it came to Domino's, when it came to work, that there was no job too small for the biggest person to do. There's no job too little, too non-important, too insignificant, too in the shadows, too, you know, uh, minuscule. There was no job too small for the top guy to do. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, guys, there is no job too small for us to do to further the work of our God. Right? There's nothing too small. So, so when we, we, we have this attitude of sweeping, and so uh, one of my last questions to you today is this, is will you sweep? Will you sweep? Will you put aside your pride sometimes? Because we, we're all there, right? We're all there a lot. I, I know I am where we go, uh, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I'm, I'm overqualified for this. I've said it. I, I have a friend, he's a missionary uh, in the Czech Republic. He got invited to go to this camp, right? This camp, and he thought he was going. He's a preacher. He's those Czech. He's learned it. Great guy. He, he goes to this camp. He shows up, and while he's there, he's thinking he's going to be one of the leaders of the camp. He shows up. They hand him a broom and a cart, and they go, you're our janitor this week. He told me that. I'm thinking, dude, what did you, did you leave? Like, I would, I, would, I, would have, I think I would have left, like, just how I, I thought I was going to do this. He goes, no, I, I stayed and I cleaned, you know. And this dude, he's just a, he's a great guy, but it really convicted me to the point of thinking, this right here, there's no job too small for us to do in the kingdom of God. God has called us all to, to seek those who are lost in our life, to, to look past their differences, to look past the things that might be on them, to see the value that God sees within them, and, and to sweep and, and work and find him because every little thing matters. And when it comes to missions and when it comes to giving and when it comes to supporting missionaries, when it comes to doing that, some people think, man, I, I don't have enough money to help with missions, right? Your church supports missionaries all around the world. They support people who are going out, speaking God's word and, and planting churches and seeing people come to know Christ. And you might be thinking, you know, I, I don't give a lot, I can't give that much. I can't really help with that. I, and I, believe me, I understand. But I want you to know that every little bit matters. I love this, this, this saying I heard somewhere. It's, it's what you keep is all you have, right? But what you give, God multiplies. And a lot of times people will twist that kind of stuff and they'll start saying, well, if you give to God right now and you call this number and you give $100, you'll be blessed back three times as much, right? That's, that's not in here. Right? That, that's not in here. That's not true. That's not what this is. What, that, what this is, when you give to God and he multiplies, it's not going to raise your checkbook. It's not going to, you're going to call up your bank and be like, oh man, somebody deposited a million dollars in your account. No, what he's going to do, he's going to take that money and he's going to bless you, maybe, maybe financially, maybe not, but he's going to use that money and he's going to use that to reach people all around the world. And you're going to see God's love and God's mercy and God's grace multiplied throughout the world. I like to ask this question because I found it interesting the other day. Does anybody know how many seeds are in an apple? Anybody want to guess? Huh? Five, do you say? Sixteen? Anybody else? 
10, it's actually, nobody really knows. It just depends on the apple, right? <laughs> but, but the better question is this. I, I'm just messing with you. But the, the better question is this. How many apples are in one seed? Right? Potentially millions, potentially thousands, potentially hundreds. Who, who knows? Because when that seed is planted, what happens? The tree grows in fruit. And those tree, those fruit, they planted in more fruit. And, and that's how the kingdom of God, when we give to missions, when we, when we give our time to this church, when we give our lives to the service of God and what he has called us to do, to find his people, to go out and to preach the word of God and to see people saved and discipled and baptized in his name, and we do what God's called us to do, we see that, that, that seed that we've planted, whether it's a lot, whether it's little, but God can take that and he can multiply it. And it's so cool to think about how God works like that, right? Because what you keep is all you have, but what you give, God multiplies. So my challenge to you today is this. Will you search and will you sweep? Will you search for those in your life and will you sweep? Will you do the things that are needed to happen in order to reach people for God? And remember that God loves you and he died for you. And there will be people in here who do not know him. Maybe you're, maybe you're not on, on this. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you never put your faith in Christ. And I want you to know this morning that God loves you despite you, right? We're sinners. We're, 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 we're evil in our hearts, right? The Bible tells us that no man's good, not even one. For all of sin and the wages of sinners is death, Right? But we have a God who loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you, to take your place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? For our sake, he made him sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of, of God, right? That we, through Jesus Christ dying on the cross, his sin or his blood covers our sin. And when God looks at Tate, he doesn't see Tate the sinner, right? He sees Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made on the cross for me. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're lost. You're one of those lost sheep out there. Know that we serve a God who, who came to find you, right? He sent his son to find you. He's the ultimate shepherd, the one who, who leaves the 99 in the, in the safety and comes to find the one who's lost. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're lost. And I want you to know that God wants you. Not because of, of you, not because you're anything uh, great, but because of him, because the glory to his name, right? Because everything he does, he does for his glory. And we, it's just such an amazing thing to know and humbling to know that there's nothing I can do to, or, in order to get my salvation. There's no, no matter how good I am, no matter how, how amazing I am, no matter how many good things I do, but it's because of what God did in Jesus and that he loved us enough to do it. And so maybe that's where you're at today. And I'm, we're going to pray and I'm going to turn it over to pastor and whatever happens there, you know, just know that there's people here who love you and they can walk you through those things. If you have any questions about salvation, what it looks like to be a Christ follower, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. If you want that, I know pastor would love to walk you through in that. And there's multiple people in here who would as well. But we're going to pray and then I'm going to turn it over to you, pastor, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your love. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you loved us first, God. I pray that if there's anybody in here today who is lost, that they would put their faith in you, God. 
We love you so, so much. I pray that you would just help us see the lost people around us and that you would give us a heart to seek them out and that we would have a heart of service, God, that whatever it takes in order to get your name out to the people around us, that we would do it and that we would trust in you to just do your work around the globe with missions, not only globally, but also here at home. We love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Stay up here, brother. Oh, yes, sir. That's great. And give him a hand for preaching the word for us this morning. And if you do have questions about Jesus and about salvation, see Pastor Stan or Brother Carl or myself or any one of these godly people around here. They would love to tell you more and open a Bible and tell you how you can trust Christ as Savior. If you're watching online or even here in person, you can text me. That yellow number right there is my cell phone. Let me know if you have more questions about that. We are going to do a question and answer session right now. So um, the first one was, let me get my glasses. I remember what it said. Let me just read it. Okay. Can you speak more about Luke 15, 7, when it talks about the 99 that need no repentance? Mm -hmm. I thought all need repentance, even save people, since we are not perfect and continue in sin. Yeah. What do you think on that? So he's, it's like, it's like you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, when Jesus said, the, the sick don't need a doctor. I mean, the sick are the ones who need a doctor. Those who are well don't need a doctor. The Pharisees were the ones who thought, oh, we're fine. We're fine. He's okay. If you're fine, you don't need me. He's being facetious. Yeah. And the 99 were the, the Pharisees, the religious majority. They're mm -hmm. like, oh, no, we're good. We don't need anything. And he's like, yeah, you don't need repentance, but this lost sheep does. Mm -hmm. And you're right. The truth is, the person asked this question, the truth is everybody needs repentance, but some people don't think they do. And he's like, okay, you don't need repentance? Fine. I'm going after the sick, the lost. Yeah. The prostitutes as sinners. Absolutely. And that's what it was. So, yeah, good. Yeah, that's um, a good here, one. another question for you. And while I'm reading this one, actually, I have a question for you. Yeah. You're in Prague? Yeah, right outside of Prague. the capital city. Mm -hmm. What's the population of Prague? Uh, two million. Two million. Uh, two million residents in the Prague major area, like main area. And then we have the, the outskirts. So we have like central Bohemian region, which is where we're at. And it's, uh, it's a little bit bigger than that. But. All right. And so... You've probably had a chance to meet other evangelical Bible-believing mm -hmm. missionaries. About how many would you guesstimate is in the city of Prague Bible-believing missionaries? Oh, man, man, that I would attend the church there? Is that yeah. the, the yeah, thing <laughs> that I would uh, that think? Preaching yeah, the the preaching the true God. I'd say maybe I could probably find eight to ten. Wow. So can you imagine eight to ten Bible-believing churches in a city of two million? Yeah. So uh, you're doing a good work. Um, here's the next question. In Second Peter, Lot is referred to as a righteous man. Mm -hmm. How can he be considered righteous when he offered up his daughters to the violent mob of men in Genesis? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that's what I love. The whole story of the Bible, I think when he was sharing with us today how he sees Jesus in everything, right? Throughout the entire Bible, it's a <clears throat> story of redemption, fall, and how God Sent, is going to send a Messiah to die <clears throat> and cover the sins of past, present, and future. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so with Lot, you know, all sins were paid for on the cross by Jesus, you know. And so just like, you know, I'm a sinner, but when God looks at me, I've done things that I, I'm, not, I'm not capable to get to heaven. But when God looks at me, he sees the atoning blood of Jesus on the cross. And I think the same thing with Lot. You know, and that's the whole point of the Old Testament was the covering of the sins, looking forward to Christ. And we see Christ covering not only the sins from the cross on, but also, you know, 
through, you know, in Hebrews talks about how the faith of Abraham, he was righteous through his faith, right? And what? I think the future coming in the atoning blood of Christ. That's that's perfect. It's like Paul said to the Romans, he who knew no sin, Jesus, Mm -hmm. became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So it's the great trade-off, you know? Absolutely. Jesus deposited his righteousness on our account. So even though we're not righteous in ourselves, it's in Christ. Here's a two-part question. What, do, what does the Czech Republic think about the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, we're trying to also, you know, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also, you know, the good news of the Dallas Cowboys to the Czech Republic. But... <laughs> last evening. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. They don't care about uh, American football at all. At all. At all. There's no, they think it's weird. They, they, they don't even care about it. So I, it's weird. Yeah. And then the second question is more serious. How does the Czech Republic government respond to Christian, Christian missionaries? It's a good, good question. Um, so the, the Czech Republic government is very, uh, we don't really care kind of me- mentality. And that's kind of the whole Czech mentality in the sense is contented agnostic kind of is what I would say they are. They're more of a content agnostic when it comes to things like that. And it's almost like you can believe whatever you want as long as you don't force it on me. Um, and you're not, I'm not worried about it because it's not going to change my mind. And so I think even the government kind of has that mentality. Sure, you can come. We're actually on a missionary or religious visa. Um, and so they allow that. But I think it's because there's a huge push for freedom of religion since communism after it was left. Now they're a democratic republic. So they try to keep up that thing so they're, they, they're not hateful in the sense to us. The government um, is not. So. Amen. Yeah. Amen. All right, great. That's all the questions. Yeah. Thank you so much. Let's give them a hand again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, Pastor Stan, would you come on up here and dismiss us in prayer? The, uh, the teens, let me remind you that they have their party going on, so you're welcome to pop by. Um, Isaiah and Kaylin, stand up. Check out their pajama costumes there. <laughs> All right. And, um, hey, big Sunday next Sunday. The kids are going to put on the Christmas program. Invite your friends, family, everybody. Just let's pack out this place and put on. A, and then we'll have lunch served afterwards. And um, we'll have sandwiches and Christmas cookies and things like that. So, you know, let's all be in the Lord's house next week and make it full. So, Brother Stan, come uh, ask the Lord's blessing as we're dismissed. Thank you, Father. God, we ask you today for your special blessing on our missions program, on this particular missions outreach. God, we ask for your blessing because... We know that in and of ourselves we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so we ask you today for your blessing. Bless us in order to be able to be your blessing around the world. God, we thank you for this uh, people here this morning. Thank you that we've heard a good word from you. And we ask you for your special blessing on each family, on each individual that attended here today and those that are watching online. God, we ask you for your special blessing on every home. In Jesus' name, we love you and thank you for it. Amen. God bless you this morning.